I've entitled this morning's message, Fruit of the Spirit. So, for the first four chapters of Galatians, Paul has been making the case that nothing can be added to the finished work of the gospel when Jesus died on Calvary's cross and when he said, it is finished, that means in the Greek, it is finished (laughs) and nothing can be added to it. So Paul's first four chapters, he debates with a group of Pharisees that got saved called Judaizers. And they would follow Paul around all these churches in Galatia. And they would listen to Paul. And then they would talk to the church afterwards and they said what Paul said is spot on about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you also have to keep the law in order to have salvation. And this has been the first four chapters going back and forth, Paul saying no, they, them saying yes. I know I'm being repetitive by bringing up these verses, but if you look at chapter three, uh, verses one through three, he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? He's getting right on them. And he's calling it, if you go back to chapter one, we've gone there to verse six and seven. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. He's referring to these Judaizers. Paul's saying you can't add anything to it because then it becomes works and part of the law, and the law and works cannot coexist. Good place for an amen. Okay, well, that's the first four chapters. And he's been trying to make this point and get it across. And so by the, the time we get to, um, um, let's look at uh, chapter five, verse one, where he says, stand fast, therefore. So we have a therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, what do we say? What's it there for? (laughs) Well, it is there for, therefore, because of the first four chapters. So he's summarizing now. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and don't be tangled again with the yoke of bondage. He is considering adding the law to the finished work of Calvary on the cross, not only as another gospel, but... um, um, He says, why would you want to be tangled again into something that even you Judaizers couldn't keep yourself? So he doesn't want them to lose their liberty that comes with grace. And so I want to give you an example of that and have you turn over to the book of Romans 
chapter 6. And um, these are baptism verses that we'll be going through um, in a couple weeks. This attitude of um, taking advantage of grace. Why would you want to go back and leave grace alone? And um, he's going to go on in the next 12 verses in Galatians. But he didn't want them to have the attitude of, um, oh, grace is great. And we can pretty much do whatever we want to. And uh, there's, he says in verse one, he says, be careful. Be careful that you don't go back and get entangled before grace came along. And that's what Romans 6, chapter one, uh, chapter six, verse one says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's exactly what he's saying to the Galatians. Be careful. Don't think that God's grace is, uh, gives you liberty to go back to your old ways. And the attitude in the Roman church was, wow, grace is great. Uh, shall we continue in sin? And he said, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And basically, that's what baptism is. It's outwardly showing by going down under the water and coming back up that you've been resurrected to a new life. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Now, I've gotten some requests from people because there's a ladder at Marsh's Pool, and um, we have others, um, one in in a wheelchair, and they go, what do we do? And I said, well, we've done this lots of times with that, with that issue. If you can't get down the stairs into the pool or you're in a wheelchair, we'll sprinkle you. <laughs> we'll get you baptized one way or another. It's not the water that saves you, okay? It's what's in your heart and what you're willing to do outwardly. And what are you saying by doing so? I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm identifying my life with Jesus Christ. And he died and rose again so I'm now born again, so I, the old man died. The old flesh is dead and buried. Uh, let's go back and review the first 12 verses of Galatians chapter five. He reiterates basically the last four chapters. Uh, first of all, he says, don't think about going back and taking advantage of God's grace. Verse two, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Okay, if you want to get circumcised, well, know this. If you're going to keep one of them, you've got to keep all of them. And there's not just 10 of them, there's 613 of them. And so you've got to keep all of them. And then he's basically saying, do you guys... We read it earlier in verse 21. Tell me, you who desired to be under the law, do you really understand what you're saying? They didn't. You have become estranged from Christ. Uh, You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly await for the hope of righteousness by faith. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You run well, who, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Well, the Judaizers are trying to. Uh, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. And that's why Paul had to try to undo every chapter what the Judaizers were saying. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment whoever he is. Judaizers or anybody else that's adding anything to. I think the example that we used here is um, believing the gospel in, in Protestantism plus baptism equals salvation. And if, if you're not baptized, um, that's qualification for, for being saved. You have to be baptized too. Same in Ro- Roman Catholicism. And you can't add that to it. And they've added that to it, and that's where Martin Luther, where he didn't go far enough. Okay, so we now have... Um, If brethren, verse 11, I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now I'm not quite sure what he means by that, and I'm not gonna try to even understand what he might mean by that. But nonetheless, it brings us to our... um, Verses to um, basically to the question in verses 13 to 26. Let's read 13 through basically what it's going to talk to us about is what should and what should not be done now that we are saved by grace alone. So he's no longer just defending just grace but he's going to say these are the do's and these are the don'ts under grace. So verses 13 through 15, we read, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. All right, the law is fulfilled in one word. What is that word? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, going to add a little bit to this. Turn to Matthew chapter 22 and looking at verses 34. He was having a debate about the resurrection with the Sadducees. They they don't believe in angels and they don't believe in the resurrection where Pharisees believe in both. And the Pharisees were listening to this argument where Jesus had pretty much shut up the Pharisees that they couldn't answer them anymore. And it says the multitudes were astonished that the Lord was able to put these guys in their place. 
And then in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice this. On these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. To better explain that, I'm going to have you turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. And I'm having you look at uh, Romans 13. 8 through 11. We're told here to owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Wow. For the commandments, and now he goes through the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandments and are all summed up in the saying namely this, You will love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to your neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of all this. And in doing this, knowing the time, now more than ever, in other words, that now it's high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Is the rapture closer than it was last week? Yep. (laughs) The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lewdness, not in strife or envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to fulfill its lusts. Now, from here, I want to tie this directly into an example of um, this um, uh, 16 and 17. Let's go back to Galatians quickly first. For I say, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit. Let me say it another way. They're at war with each other. Your flesh is at war against the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is at war with your flesh. Another good place for an amen. And we need to understand this and I'll give you an example of it in a second. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. An example of this warfare is given to us in um, Matthew 13. So let's turn back to Matthew 13. And we're looking at here the parable of the sower. And I want to give you an example of 
this sort of stuff going on. And you don't experience this kind of stuff going on until somebody starts sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. That's when the wrestling match begins. So the Lord is explaining to them what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we read in verse one, well, we'll pick it up through one through four here, I guess. On the same day, Jesus went out of his house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him. So that he got in a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Well, we use tractors and combines and spreaders today. Back then they had a bag and they just, they just winged it out like that. Uh, and he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, And it said, the birds came and devoured them. Some fell by the stony place where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. All right. Uh, The disciples come to him and they said, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? And so picking it up in verse um, 18, I'm gonna give Jesus' explanation of what is taking place and what is the seed that's being spread. If you read uh, the last one, it said the seed is really the heart condition and this one brought forth a hundredfold. But in verse 18, he begins to explain the parable to them. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so okay, you're hearing the gospel now for the first time, and does not understand it, he's not quite getting, wrapping his head around, what do you mean Jesus came and died for my sins, and what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? And does not understand it, then the wicked one comes. All right, now we have identification of who the bird is. The bird that came and um, devoured the the seed that was sown by the sword uh, by the road is actually demonic forces, spiritual warfare, the flesh wrestling against the spirit. And Jesus tells us here, the one who comes and steals it is a bird in a parable, but in actuality, it's spiritual warfare, so that you won't believe it and snatches away that which was sown in the heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Let me just stop and try to give some illustrations. Uh, You've been witnessing to a guy at work for years, and maybe he goes through a hard time. And he goes, he finally breaks down one day and says, you know what, I gotta, I'm 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 gonna give this Jesus a try. Why not? What do I got to lose? And he he gets saved. And um, he goes home and he goes, honey, you'll never guess what happened to me today. And she said, well, what happened to you today? I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You did what? And in her mind, her whole lifestyle is about to change. And they're not gonna do the things as far as this person is thinking. 
He says, if you go off and become one of those holy rollers and start stop doing all the fun things that we used to do, I'm out of here. And an ultimatum is given. Choice has to be made. What's happening? Spiritual warfare. What would have been the right thing to do? The right thing to do would be stand your ground, say, I'll pray for you, honey, but if Jesus is who I believe he is to be, the guy that witnessed to me said, I have to put him first, which means you're second. That's what he should have said. But he's a baby Christian, and that seed that was sown was taken out. That's just one example. That's the guy who gets saved at work. There could be many illustrations that could be used where you decide not to do it even though you think it could be the truth, but you don't do it anyway. Why? Because this is going on. The flesh is lusting against the spirit, and the spirit is fighting against the flesh. I tell people straight out, if I lead a person to the Christ, I'll have to tell them, I'd like to tell you, life's gonna be a rose garden from here on out. You'll be walking in the garden every single day with Jesus. Oh, great life. Uh, <laughs> no. What happens? No. Now you have two natures, and they don't like each other. And they're both living inside of you. And um, we have to die daily. Can I say that again? You have to die daily. And you know what I like to say about that, don't you? The problem with dying daily is it's too daily. (laughs) It's daily. And if you don't die to it, then you're going to succumb to it. So you have that choice to make. All right, so this one is clearly a person who's not saved. Let's look at the second one here where it says, some of them fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. Well, this tells me that they heard the message, believed the message, and um, um, when the sun came up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. The question here is, is this person saved at this time or not? He believed the message, and my Bible says, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But that doesn't mean the enemy's not gonna try to undo it. He will try to undo it. And so faith comes by hearing, amen? And hearing comes by where? And we use the terminology how well are you rooted and grounded in the word? Is not That's Christianese, in case you're new, okay? How well are you rooted and grounded in this book? Because if you're involved with churches that are there primarily to make you feel good and don't lay it all on the line and tell you the truth, I believe this person is saved at this moment. But the spiritual warfare comes in doesn't read his Bible, his faith isn't increased, and then he goes through a trial. And instead of saying, well, the Bible talks a lot about trials, and that we're all gonna go through them. Well, he didn't read that yet. And so what happened was, we read, you go back to um, uh, verse 20, Jesus explains this. But he who received the word on stony places, so he received it, This is he who hears the word 
and immediately receives it with joy. Oh, praise the Lord, I'm saved. That tells me this man is saved. And this is very controversial, by the way, what I just said, because um, it brings up a lot of doctrinal issues, and I'm not going to go there right now. Yet he had no root in himself, but endured for a while. Well, was he saved during that while? I would have to say yes. But when tribulations or persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. I didn't sign up for this. I thought this was, this was uh, taking all my problems away and I'm going to get a raise and everybody's, everything's life is going to be fine. Instead, I'm having some of my best friends coming up to, to me and saying, you became a what? You are going to church on Sunday and on Wednesday? And you have these sort of things coming at you and there's times of tribulation and they simply didn't want the hassle. Why? War, spiritual warfare. Does the Bible teach spiritual warfare? I'm glad you asked that question this morning. Therefore, therefore, turn to me to the book of Ephesians chapter six. Gang, you gotta understand that you're in a war. And Paul looking at it as a warrior in Romans, uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 through 17, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Or what are the wiles of the devil? Oh, stealing seeds through different means. What else are the wiles of the devil? Oh, getting you to go through temptations that you weren't prepared to go through because you weren't rooted and grounded. This is all part of his MO, to get you to leave. And so what's the solution? Put on the whole armor of God, which is, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against, oh, I'm so tempted to say Democrats. I'm not going to say Democrats, but I just won't, just not going to say it. <laughs> Don't you dare cut that out, Thomas. <laughs> and a host of wickedness in heavenly places. What do you think's going on right now in our, in our world, in our country? And what are the forces behind it? They are instruments. A lot of these people are demon-possessed. They are evil. And our world is not the same world that it was a week ago. And I got great news for you. It's only gonna get worse. It's only gonna get worse. What? IRS agents coming one of the conditions for employment is you gotta be willing to take um, a person's life if necessary. The IRS? Yeah. Who's behind that? Oh, powers and principalities, demons. My Bible says that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's all he's interested in. So therefore, therefore, because war is real, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day. Question, are we living in evil days? Like never before, like never, ever before. And having done all to stand, stand, keep going. Stand therefore, having girding your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of Jesus, above all, taking the shield of faith. What do you need a shield of faith for? Because the enemy fires, shoots fiery darts at you that you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the book you're holding in your hand, which is the word of God. So how do we respond to what Paul is, going back to Galatians now, um, what is Paul, after laying that is by grace you can be saved and only through grace he tells us um, in 16 through 18 why because we're in a war with our flesh against the spirit how do we respond and defend ourselves putting on the whole armor of God not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together like you're doing this morning and all the more as you see the day approaching And so now in verses um, 19 through 21, we have the works, plural, of the flesh. And he gives a list. Remember I said, now that we have this liberty, there's certain obvious things we don't do anymore. And then there's gonna be other things that we will do. Verse 19, we should be in. Now the works, plural, of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand in 1 Corinthians 6.9 is what he's referring to, just as I told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're born again, these are simply things that you will not do anymore. And um, I want to emphasize the works, plural, of the flesh. And also I have underlined in verse 21, who's practice these things. Well, what does that mean? That means it's a lifestyle. It's not something that you blew it once, and I'll give you an example here, and now you fall into this category. The word there is practice, which to me means it's your lifestyle. And it's the lifestyle of the guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who was sleeping around and yet going to church every Sunday morning. And Paul said, kick him out. He thinks he's saved and he's not, the most loving thing you can do. Turn him over to the devil. And let the devil work him over for a while. And then pray for his soul. Why? Because he thinks he's saved and he's not. There are Christians who go to church every Sunday, fulfill their obligation, but are as carnal as you can possibly imagine doing all these things. And it is a lifestyle. And basically what 
Paul is saying here is you're not going to make it. Um, the example that I would want like to use here is King David because King David committed adultery. And to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba, he had Uriah murdered. So David was not only committed adultery, but he was also a murderer. There's a difference, however, because he ended up marrying Bathsheba, even though he had killed Uriah the Hittite. Okay, but my point is, this was not David's practice. This was a one-time incidence. He was a murderer one time. He was an adulterer one time. Yeah, but he sure killed a lot of people. Yep, he did. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his what? Tens of thousands. Is there a difference between killing and murder? Absolutely. We have godly men in uniforms serving our country, and they're born-again believers, and they're killing people. They're not murdering people. They're defending our country by force, and it makes all the difference in the world. So I don't want you to be confused when we read here those who practice. It implies a continued lifestyle. And the difference would be, you can blow it. Um, I get so encouraged reading Romans 7 where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I I should be doing, I, I don't do, and the things I should do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. I can identify with that. And in the Proverbs, it says, on your best day, you're going to sin seven times. Probably some of you are working on seven and eight right now. I don't know. <laughs> that's, not, that's on your best day. What does the Bible say about my flesh? In it dwells no good thing. Oh, there's going to be some good in there somewhere. No. Oh, there is good, but it's not your goodness. It's those who walk in the Spirit. You see, you're the temple of God. And God dwells in you. Every good and perfect gift comes from where? You? No. Comes from above. And so that's why we hold one finger up and, um, and say, praise the Lord. And we give the glory to him. Um, I'll use the example of the, the peace sign in a second here. Um, Let's go back to Galatians and finish out the chapter with 22 through 26. And it said, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and I'm going to stop right there and point out that it does not say fruits plural. It says fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. All right? Everybody got that? All these other things, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, they're all attributes of love. And so the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, might, neighbor as yourself. So it's singular. But the byproduct of having God's love in you will produce peace. Remember I said we're gonna start things out heavy and I'm really going to want to lighten things up 
a little bit. I purposely asked um, Eric, I said, I want a song, and while I'm saying this, I want you to turn to Psalm 150 and Psalm 23, those two. Psalm 150. And while you're turning, I'm going to give you a little background on the Psalms. There are 150 of them. David wrote 75. So roughly half of the Psalms were written by David. And I'm going to do something that we've never done here at Calvary Chapel as long as I've been here. And I've been here since the beginning. And I'm going to play a a song. Because with everything that's going on right now, one of the best medicines that's when you hear all this heavy stuff that's going on, um, I'm going to just read a little bit about the Psalms. Every Psalm is a song. Every one of them. The word Psalm in Hebrew means melody, tune, or instrumental. It is Israel's songbook for all occasions, and now also for the church. There are psalms that have specific subtitles to further describe the song. There are 10 different types of psalms. There are praise psalms. Um, a, pra- a, praise, a psalm of praise is pretty self-explanatory. It focuses on praising who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, there's hymns. These are songs of joy from people who are happy with God and their circumstances. Uh, There are lament songs. This is the flip side of joy. When you're in distress, that results in lament, lamentation. These express emotional and spiritual suffering and a plea with God to intervene and help, such as Psalm 88. Um, Imprecatory, the most difficult type of Psalm to understand, imprecatory psalms call for God's judgment upon their enemies. Uh, They use striking images and ultimately leave justice and vengeance to God alone. Good example, Psalm 69. Then there's psalms of thanksgiving. While these psalms are full of joy, they are more specific in the reasons why one is joyful. As a category indicates, thanksgiving psalms thank God for blessing and providing for them. There are prophetic psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 53, Isaiah 53, I should say, Um, um, Psalm 118. Many of the psalms hold prophetic oracles where God is the speaker rather than the subject. Confidence, instead of falling into despair and lament, Confidence psalms uh, see opposition coming, but they rise to state their trust in God and his guidance. Psalm 23 is what we'll be looking at in a second. Wisdom, songs of psalms that share traits of other biblical wisdom, literature, with practical guidance and warning. Remembrance, this is a psalm that looks back at what God has done in the past and seeks to remind everything one of these acts and promises. And finally, a royal song, psalm, 
Anytime a person dips into regal imagery of kings, thrones, and the like, it's most likely a royal song, either from a king, about a king, or about God himself. So Dwight, why are you making such a big deal about the Psalms? Because I want to draw a contrast here. And I had you turn to Psalm 150, and I said, Eric, I need one of the Psalms, and I want it to rock. With cymbals and drums and and the whole nine yards. So when he got up earlier and said, Dwight wants me to do this song, and it's a little up-tempo. Well, let's read Psalm 150. It's only six verses. Praise the Lord. Praise him in a sanctuary. Praise him with mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute, with the harp, with the timbals. Another word for cymbals. And dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with high-sounding cymbals. I'll let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Can I hear it? Praise the Lord. How? A lot of instruments. Let them go. Turn them loose. Turn with me as we close this morning to John chapter 14. Okay. We started with the heavy stuff. Gave you an example of how to let it go. Music. I don't know why there's not more Bible studies on the importance of music and actually playing it. Whenever I'm overwhelmed and I said, we did what? And it overwhelms me. This is what I do. Ask my wife. I take, I turn on the iPad and I'll listen to Marge or something very similar to it. And it just drifts away. Just like a medicine. It soothes the soul. It makes me to lie down in green pastures. It restores my soul. So in John chapter 14, we read verse 27 that not only when we read about this peace, here it is clearly set out that it's not your peace. Verse 27 said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world does do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. A lot of troubled hearts today. Neither let them be afraid. Dwight, wake up. We're living in the world that's on the verge of a possible nuclear war. Uh, we could be attacked by an EMP. Um, our financial situation, we're so far in debt that we'll never get out of it. Lawlessness abounds. Immorality talked in basic schools at the age of six years old. We have armed IRS willing to kill in order to get their, their job. We have presidents of the United States House being raided, okayed and green light by our FBI. And um, we have all this, 
and through it all, um, Jesus said, I'm going to give you my peace. Now, I want you to just think for a second with the list of all the bad stuff that's going on. Can you imagine for the second the Lord going, oh no, what am I going to do now? Play the song again, I suppose. <laughs> Can you imagine the Lord being shaken? No. Oh. And if he's in you, and it's his peace that he's giving to you, an application that I would like for you uh, to do your own, everybody likes different styles of music. I mean, whatever it is. But, um, I mean, that's what Paul, Paul's sitting out there. And, I mean, that's one of his reasons for living is to put Christian music on a Christian radio station. And he comes to men's prayer and he'll tell a testimony or two every once in a while about somebody sent him an email or something saying, I can't tell you how this helps me get me through my day, that I can turn on a family radio and just listen people singing about Jesus. Music, music, music. All of the songs of the Psalms are songs. And they're put there to alleviate and put your eyes and take your eyes off the storm and put them on the Lord. We have the blessed hope of the rapture. Yeah, it's going to get worse. Yes, we're headed into the tribulation. But the good news is God has not appointed you to wrath, but to obtain salvation. But we should have a burden for um, our lost friends. And a final exhortation, if the enemy's been tempting you in areas that um, would deal with the flesh, um, we said, Paul said, you have this freedom. Don't take advantage of it. So I'm getting ready to walk out the door this morning and I thought, well, I didn't read wisdom for the day, I better read it. And once you know it lined up with the Bible study. So I lied to you when I said we closed with this last verse here. That makes, uh, I think, eight or nine for me so far as today. It's from John 8. If you abide in my word and my and you are my disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. People like to talk about freedom, but true freedom is not the freedom to do what you wish. It is the freedom not to do what is wrong. When Jesus set you free, the freedom he gives you is true freedom. It is freedom not to do those things that are destructive to you and those around you. Thus the fruits of the spirit and the fruits and the works of the the flesh. Some who are enslaved to sin wrongly believe they are free. But Jesus said whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whether it's an obvious sin like drugs or alcohol abuse or a secret sin that no one knows about but you, Sin has the power to grab a hold of you and keep you in its grip, helpless to escape yourself. That's why Paul said, don't get entangled with it again. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, 
You're free. That is a broad. That is broad. But then he went on to say, I will not be brought under the power of any. Oh yes, I have the freedom to do something. But if I exercise of that gift of freedom, I'm brought into bondage that I'm no longer free. I have exercised my freedom in such a way as to bring myself back into slavery, exactly what Paul said. Maybe you find yourself bound by something today you feel you just can't get free, but when you come to know the truth, Jesus Christ, then the truth will make you free. And that truth comes by grace and grace only, adding nothing to it. Amen? That's the truth, and it will set you free. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. We pray for all the stuff, the heavy stuff that's going on in the world. But more importantly, Lord, we thank you that your word addresses these issues. It tells us what to do, and it tells us what not to do. Help us be lights in these last days, Lord, and give us boldness to share uh, the Roman road with many. As, as we see things falling apart, we can have that perfect peace. And we're grateful, I'm personally grateful, for the gift of music. And when Paul was taken to heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he doesn't talk about what he saw, but he talked about what he heard. I find that extremely interesting. So bless your word to us this morning. Dismiss us in your peace. And all God's people said, 